Turn with me, if you would please, to the book of Luke, Luke chapter number four, if you would please, the book of Luke chapter number four, and uh, turn your Bible with me there, please, and we'll uh, try to get a, a message from the scripture out of the book of Luke chapter number four. We had some folks uh, call me today from Yucca Valley, California, Yucca, that's a good name, right, Yucca uh, has your kids ever said Yucca Valley? Uh, but um, Brother Terry and Miss, uh, Miss uh, Vicky was uh, in Yucca Valley, California this morning and listened to the sermon. And he called and had to lie a little bit, but he said it was a great sermon. We enjoyed it very much. And I asked him what he wanted, and he said, send him some money for gas to get back home. And I said, oh, I'll do that right away. I'll talk to Adam and Brother Odell, and we'll try to take an offering between us three and them two, and we'll send you some money right away, all right? In your Bible now, welcome all of you folks who's joined us by way of live stream and radio, and I hope you enjoy the message tonight. Take your Bible, the book of Luke, chapter number four. Of course, you know we're studying on Sunday morning, um, Mark, and um, I made mention, uh, I think, when we were a couple of weeks ago, that between... Mark 1 and verse 13 and verse 14, a year transpired in our Lord's life. Mark is kind of a kind of fellow that it just gets on with it. Words that are really outstanding in in Mark is immediately, straightway, get on with it, hurry. Let's not monkey around too much. Let's not put too many flowers on the subject. Let's just get right to it. Two verses, I think, he dealt with the temptation of our Lord. Well, if you look in the book of Luke, Luke used about 13 verses. And we come to a place in verse number 14 of, the chap- of chapter 4 of the book of Luke. Look at this now. And the Bible said, when Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit unto Galilee... And there went out a fame of him throughout all the region round about. And he taught in her synagogues, being glorified of all. Well, where did he return from in verse 14? He returned from being tempted of the devil in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. So in the period between 13 and 14 in the book of Mark, the text tonight takes place. Mark don't mention this. Luke does. Notice the Bible said in verse number 16. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as its custom was, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. Notice he was brought up in Nazareth, and the custom in his life had been put there by his parents. And what was his custom to do on the Sabbath day? Go to church. Now you just don't get up one morning and say, I'm going to church. There is a custom, a habit, a desire. Uh, setting aside the time. And uh, 
If you parents don't do that, more than likely your children will not go to church. If you do not build into them the necessity and the desire, then what's the church going to be of the next generation? So our Lord's custom was he went to the synagogue on the Lord's day. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of the sight of the blind to the blind and to set at liberty them that are bruised. To preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book. And he gave it again to the minister. And he sat down. And the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say unto them, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. Now, our Father tonight, please help us as we uh, so humanly struggle through uh, this life. And Lord, help us make important to us what's important to you. And Lord, I'll thank you for it if we accomplish that. And it'll be all because of your honor and your glory and your doing. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I'd like to bring you a message tonight and kind of preach to me a little bit tonight, not to you. You folk can just take a rest tonight. But let me ask you a question. What should I have in common with Jesus? I'm talking about you now. You get, it's your night to sing it on me. What should I have in common with Jesus? And if it'll work on me, would it work on you? What should I? Now you can't go home tonight and say the Lord, the preacher cleaned my clock tonight because I'm not preaching to you. I'm preaching to me. What should I have in common with Jesus? You see, I just believe that fellowship and even friendship is usually dependent upon things that we have in common. Fishermen always sit with liars. (laughs) Shoppers always sit with shoppers. Those folks who like athletics do not fellowship with checker players. People who have big horn rim glasses, usually, I'm just saying usually, do not sit with a basketball team. Are you here now? Usually, I, I know there's exceptions to the rule, but usually our fellowship and even our friendship is dependent 
upon having things in common. Loving the same things. Talking about the same things. Don't you, some of you ladies, just love to hear stories about football. Don't that just absolutely light your shuck, light up your day. In fact, doesn't it just thrill your soul when somebody sits down and talks about the cowboy? Usually folks who are talking about football has a common love for the game. For instance, I don't know about you, but I've kind of found that folks who enjoy hunting kind of, kind of, kind of uh, attract each other. You can tell them. They have camouflage slippers on when they come to church. Amen. They dress their little babies. I mean, we, we little babies. I mean, one week year old babies in camouflage drawers. You will never catch a computer geek dressing their baby in camouflage. Most computer geeks can't spell camouflage. <laughs> you, you get my drift. It's, it's people who are drawn together. Friendship and fellowship most generally is based largely on our likes and our dislikes. Don't some of you fellows just love to talk about Shopping. Would you like me to encourage you to go to Walmart? They've got some new shopping carts. They're the latest models. Nobody has the kind of shopping carts that Walmart has. So some of you guys who really love to shop, you can get together on shopping with brand new shopping carts. But somehow or another, I don't think that's tripping your trigger. And could I say to you, if we're going to have a right relationship and right fellowship and a right friendship with God, we're going to have to develop some things in common. Not with each other, but with him. You understand what I'm talking about? I mean, if you're going to fellowship with God, you're going to have to love some of the things that God loves. You're going to have to, you're going to have to get all whooped up about some of the things that God gets whooped up about. And I think tonight, if I am going to thoroughly fall in love with God, I don't think I'm going to have to be discussing with God my hobbies and my habits down here. Somehow or another, I don't think God is the least bit interested And whether the Rangers win or lose. Or if Josh Hayes, I mean Josh Hayes, or Josh, what's his name? Who? 
Josh Hamilton signs again next year. I don't think maybe that God is about to have a nervous breakdown on whether Josh gets signed or not. I really don't think that he cares who owns the Cowboys. Or he don't care who's throwing or fumbling the football. I don't think it could matter one iota to God about uh, athletics at all. And you can pray for a big buck this year and I don't think God's going to tie him to a tree for you. Didn't my light go out? Pick it, don't do nothing but buy junk. Absolute junk. Pick it. Dear Lord, I want everybody, I want everybody around the world. I don't care if you're in Taiwan or next door. Pick it, bought junk. I don't think you're supposed to be backhanding it. Do you know what I'm talking about? But do you understand what I'm talking about? I I just think maybe we get all whooped up about things down here. God don't care one iota about. I really don't think he cares too much about that. I'm just, uh, I think our hobbies must be awful boring to God. I mean, just flat out boring. I'd be ashamed to ask God to bless my hobby if I wasn't going soul winning. I'd, I'd, I'd be ashamed. Oh, dear God, protect my kid while he's playing football. What? Ask him to protect him the next time he fights hand to hand with a roaring lion. Why would you put your boy in a football game where they're going to try to knock his head off? And every time he raises up, somebody's going to clobber him and you say, dear God, protect him. Somehow or another, I don't think that matters one hill of beans to God. You put your kid out there. All because you couldn't play when you were a kid. Now you're trying to play through your kid. And asking your kid to be tougher than you were. Buy him a checkerboard. That's what you were good at. At least you'd have a coach. I get so mad watching daddies try to live their childhood through their kids that they couldn't play ball. Now, that's what you told me to say. Anybody get mad at me? Jim told me to say that. Right there is a guy that done that. I don't think God cares one iota or not whether your kid can play baseball, D1, D2, four. 45, 65, 75, or 35. I don't think God cares whether your kid can play football or not. I don't think God cares whether your kid plays peewee Wednesday night t-ball. I don't don't think God's interested at all in how far your kid can hit a t-ball. But he is interested in his relationship with Christ. He is interested in a godly example before the kid 
to teach them to walk with the Lord. And to be honest and have integrity and have some stability in his life. Now, I think God's interested in some of those things, but I don't think God cares about whether your kid is playing for Jerry Jones when he's 99 or not. So, really what is important to God? And if I'm going to be a friend of God and God's going to be a friend of mine and I'm going to have fellowship with God, surely we ought to have something in common. Maybe I need to get in his book and find out who God is and what God is like and what God wants and what God desires in my life and in your life because I just believe if I'm going to please God, and have fellowship with God. Me and God are going to have to have something in common. Does that make decent sense to anybody here tonight? Yes, sir. Now I'm sorry I made you mad. That God is not rooting for the cowboys. You say surely he wouldn't root for anybody else. <laughs> Only if God is a Texan. Brother Pickett's saying, he's just trying to make people mad. No. I just like for somebody to think every once in a while. Just think. Quit letting this world do your thinking. Quit letting the devil guide you and do your thinking. I don't know who in ever in the world ever persuaded us that the Cowboys was God's team. I'm not sure America is even God's team. The most wicked, vile, ungodly, heathen nation I know of is America. I think since I'm not preaching to you, I think the thing that really mattered in the life of Christ was this. People. People. It's what really mattered in the life of Christ. It wasn't their achievements. It wasn't their failures. People really mattered in the life of Christ. And until we get on the same page with God, until people really matter, not things, not junk, not athletics, not shopping, not dress. No, no. People are what mattered to Jesus. Now notice what he said when he went into the temple or into the synagogue. And if you'll read a little bit, you'll see the type of service they had in the synagogue. They had somebody in charge. And at the discretion of the one in charge, he would say, does anyone present today have anything 
to say. They were all seated. And the master said, is there anyone present who has anything to say today? Jesus stood and took the book from the master and said, let me read you something. And he read that which was of utmost importance to God the Father. And he said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Is that what it said? Would you say that would be pretty important to God? Uh, Come on now. For he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Then he said, he has sent me to heal The brokenhearted. I'd say that probably right there was kind of important to God. To preach deliverance to the captives. Recovering of the sight to the blind. Set at liberty them that are bruised. And to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book, gave it to the minister, and sat down. I wonder if they had a ball game that day. I wonder what time the Rangers was going to kick it off that day. Somehow that missed the importance of the Lord. Are you listening to me? Let me show you what was important to the Lord until it gets important to us. We're not going to be on the same page. Number one, hearts were important to the Lord. Heal the broken hearted. See that? Did you see that? Heal the brokenhearted. Do you think maybe there's anybody in our church that has a broken heart? Do you think maybe there's anybody that's gone through divorce? Do you think maybe there's anybody that has lost anybody close to their home, close to themselves, a sister, a brother, a wife, a husband? Have we thought much about that? You know what's important to the Lord? Hearts are important to the Lord. Hurting hearts, hurting people. That's more important than ball games. That's more than time. That's more important than a time slot 
to get us in between ball games. Uh, th- that's more important than anything I know of. The Bible said that Jesus was sent by God the Father to preach the gospel to the poor and to heal broken hearts. You think about that just a little while, if you would please. That everything in the world, the Bible said, He healeth the broken heart and bindeth up their wounds. Psalms 147 and verse number 3. Boy, I tell you, wouldn't it be something if everybody knew where to bring a broken heart? Wouldn't it be something tonight if maybe uh, we were just eat up with empathy uh, because of the brokenness that the devil is causing, the world is causing, the economy is causing, and we're causing each other. Do you know why people get divorced? Number one, they should have never got married. (laughs) Now let me, let me meddle just a little bit, would you? Could I meddle just a little bit? Is the divorce what is wrong? Or is it wrong for two kids to get married? Which is the wrongest? Out of the will of God when you get married? Or out of the will of God when you get unmarried? Why is it it's never God's will to get a divorce, but it is always God's will for everybody in the world to marry? Regardless of whether they know the Lord, don't know the Lord, how old they are, how many kids they got, how many boyfriends they got, and how immature they are. Why is it always right to get married, but never right to get a divorce? Why is it always right to get married and have 15 kids, and there's no love at all in the home, for the kids, for each other, for anything? Boy, but don't you ever think it's God's will that they didn't get married. There is more broken hearts tonight because of bad marriage. Bad marrying. Oh, I love you, baby. You lied my shuck. You ain't even got a shuck at light. Well, I don't know if I really love them like I used to. How did you used to love them? Our kids already in love with somebody. Just, they're not even old enough to have a car. At least you could fall in love with a good looking car. That'll last a while. Bicycles, they wear out in a hurry. It's ridiculous. Broken hearts because of bad choices. Broken hearts because parents allow kids to get involved in a relationship that they don't know anything about. Broken homes, broken hearts, just flat brokenness. Our hearts ought to be breaking for that kind of situation. I just don't understand for the life of me. But brokenness all over. Do you know anybody that's broken tonight? 
No one has got a broken heart tonight. Our church is full of folk with broken hearts. Uh, in fact, they just, everybody, uh, just upset, hurt, broken. And I, I don't understand why. And let me ask you a, a question tonight. If a person is rocking around with a broken heart because of children that is out in sin, because of personal sin, because of wars, and somebody who has been drafted into war, and God, God bless our kids that goes to war and fights wars that we in no way in the world can win. I'm not a politician. But I don't believe you'll ever be able to have democracy amongst a bunch of tribesmen. Democracy is not found here. Theocracy is found here. But when Theo, God, is out of the picture... We've got nothing but a man did that was right, which was his own eyes. And over and over, man does not have the ability to govern himself. And you say, well, if we can just send them enough money and buy enough oil, they'll be able to govern themselves. No, they will not because this king will be fighting the king of this tribe and they'll be fighting until the Prince of Peace comes back. You say, now where do you get that? From watching Randolph Scott on the Western Channel. (laughs) Brokenness. Listen to me. A broken heart needs to be dealt with or that brokenness will deal with you. First stop on a broken heart, a broken life, and a broken spirit. Next stop is depression. And let me help you. I'm not preaching to you. I don't even know you are going to be here tonight when I begin to work on this. I'm just saying, folks. When folks leave our church and get mad at me. And won't even say goodbye to me when they leave. Is that supposed to not hurt? When I pour out my life. Dig into my pocket and personally. Give and give and give and give. And I've done it for 26 years. And tried to stay straight as a string. Preach the word of God and keep this church safe doctrinally, morally. It's not supposed to hurt when folks spit in my face and leave. That don't hurt. You look around and say, well, somebody else left. Have you ever wondered why they left? Why do you always look at me and say, well, he runs somebody else off? I ain't run nobody off. I'm the same dude that was here when they came. Preaching out the same book that uh, when they came. 
preaching the same length of time when they came. But that's not supposed to hurt me. Would it hurt you if your kids left? Would it hurt you if they just showed you taillights and took off down the driveway and never come back? Would they hurt you if you poured out your life to give them life and to keep them going and to encourage them and to help them along? Would that hurt you? Well, then evidently, maybe I've had a broken heart or two. How are we going to handle that? (laughs) How are we going to handle that? Going to stare at one another mean like? Either you can wait around and wade yourself into depression or you can turn to God and receive deliverance. Depression or deliverance. Psalms, take your Bible, please. Brokenhearted. God, for some reason or another, is kind of Drawn to those who are brokenhearted. Read your Bible sometime and just look at the word poor and look how God loves the poor. If you want to get on God's good side, you need to be on the side God's on. And God loves poor folks, and I'm glad He does because He loves us over on brushing on. Notice, if you would please, Psalms. 34, if you would, please. And I'd like to show you something here. We can either, we can either continue and begin to feel sorry for ourselves and digress in the depression, or we can seek God's deliverance. Verse 15, the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous. And his ears are open under their cry. The face of the Lord is against them that do evil to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. The righteous cry and the Lord heareth and delivereth them out of all their troubles. Anybody believe the Bible? The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart. And save us such as be of a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth them out of them all. You know what, really, God is interested in tonight? God's interested in healing broken hearts. God's interested in putting the balm of Gilead in the wounds That Satan has caused in your life. God is interested tonight. You know the Bible says. Casting all your cares upon him. Listen now. For he careth for you. If your heart is broken. If you'll just let him. God will draw nigh to you. If your heart is broken tonight. His eyes seize. Every tear. His ear hears every moan. 
His face is in front and there he sees and realizes. You know what ought to be important to us tonight? No. You know what ought to be important to me tonight? Folks with a broken heart. I ought not be walking around like a judge. Saying, well, if you hadn't done this, you wouldn't be where you are. No. What I ought to be caring about is what can I do to help your bleeding? What I need to be doing is taking a towel and wiping a tear from your eye and saying, God cares. Because if God cares, I ought to care. And what trips God's trigger if I'm on God's team? It ought to trip my trigger. Can anybody say amen? Amen. So tonight, I think what I should have in common with God is that I care about your broken heart, your hurts, your sorrows, your cares, your disappointments. Your downfall, your sin, your habit, your addiction, your failure. If I'm right with God, I ought to care about what God cares about. Amen? Amen. And if you're right with God, and you have fellowship with God, And you are walking with God. You ought to care about somebody else's broken heart too. The only person I know that cannot see somebody else's broken heart are those who's caught up in their own pity party. Amen. Amen. You say, preacher, you have no right to say that. Well, I'm sorry. I'll take it back then. Know something else that God was concerned about? Because if I'm going to be what God wants me to be, don't you think I ought to be concerned with what God is concerned with? Notice what he says. He said, God hath anointed him to preach the gospel to the poor and to heal the brokenhearted. Is that what I found? And then I saw something else. He said, preach deliverance to the captives. Preach deliverance to the captives. Okay. Captives. Now I know we don't have long. Can anybody here tonight name me the three God-ordained institutions on the earth? The home, government, and the church. Only three. You say, what about crusaders for Christ? What about cowboys for Jesus? What about plumbers for the Lord? Three institutions God started. 
Preacher, you forgot the cowboys. Oh, I'm sorry. Three. The home. Everybody agree? You ever heard of Adam and Eve? The home. God instituted institution. The home. Civil government. The church. Has the devil messed with any of them? If you drive down any neighborhood in Texas, you'll see vacant home after vacant home after vacant home after vacant home. Let me restate that. Vacant house after vacant house after vacant house after vacant house. And the economy has gone south and because the economy has gone south, Many a folk who just a few years ago was living in high cotton now don't have any cotton. And those homes that they bought that they were so proud of and, 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 and worked so hard for, now the banks own them homes. Thanks to Fannie Mae and Fannie Mac. And Fanny, whoever else is pulling the plugs in Washington. Fraudulent loans. Shysty bankers. Dictating governments that tell the bank you've got to loan the money. And the economy has raped many families in America. Many of them are renting today. Who was living in high cotton and paying for the mortgage and had nice homes. Let me ask you something. Do you think that would have any detriment to the family in America? Nothing like financial pressures to destroy a husband and wife relationship. Financial pressures. I'm just saying tonight. I'm not sure tonight. But I think I might be pretty close tonight. To say to you. That many homes. Are held captive tonight. Because of the economy. And because of the devil, I think tonight the home matters to God. I think the home is more important than the job. It's amazing to me watch folk move across the country for jobs. And the promise of more money. And leave God in Joshua. Never to search for another church. 
No absolute uh, incentive to find out. Uh, I, I just think maybe tonight that if we could fix the home in America, we could fix the church and the government. I think the church is held captive tonight. Most preachers are afraid to preach because of money. I was talking to a good friend of mine just recently. Got a great church. He said, preacher, you just don't understand the economy in our community. It's killing us. We, we, we barely can keep the doors open, barely pay our missionaries and barely pray the staff and barely, barely, barely. That's what the devil wants to do. He wants to break the church financially and break the church morally and break the church spiritually. And he's going to do it through homes. That's right. Amen. Through selfish, childish, Individuals who think you can act like junior high kids and have a marriage. The homes are held captive tonight. Say, preacher, what did God say to do? Preach to them. Preacher, you're going to make them mad. He said, preach to them anyhow. You know what this country needs more than anything else is preachers who's not afraid to preach the Word of God. Amen. And stand on the Word of God and live the Word of God, practice the Word of God, and pray the Word of God, and then preach it again. That's what this nation needs. Amen. Not pansy mansy, tiptoeing through Amen. the tulip, kind of panty laced, bloomer legged kind of preachers that's in the pulpit. Scared to death the deacons is going to cut his salary. Dear God, they ought to cut his salary. They ain't got no guts. You said the deacons will cut your salary. Well, ain't worth much anyhow. But please, I can't live on what I'm worth. And I refuse to work that cheap. Where would you say the trouble with our nation is tonight? It's not Mr. Obama. It started a long time before Mr. Obama ever got raised up in the Chicago gangs. The problem's not with Mr. Bush. The problem is in the Christian homes in America. That's where the problem is. And the devil has our homes captive tonight. You say, well, preacher, how can you fix that? Let me give you something right quick. If our homes are ever going to be fixed, somebody, not everybody, don't take everybody, somebody in the home is going to have to start doing right. Don't take everybody. Somebody. Somebody will start doing what God wants done. 
Someone who will start acting like God wants them to act. Just somebody that will do right. If there's arguing, hell raising in the house, there's two sides of that deal. Probably there's more than that if there's any kids. Come on now, say amen. It takes two to argue. It takes two to split the sheets. It takes two to build insecure little kids. It takes two to mess something up. Just somebody needs to start doing right. Going to church, reading their Bible, praying, soul winning. Learning and yielding to God Doing what God wants done Regardless of what somebody Just do right Just somebody And quit pointing your finger At everybody else Well if they start doing it I'll start doing it No you won't You start it You do it That'd fix a lot of things wouldn't it Two, if just somebody in the house would just act right. Do right, act right. Well, I'm boss. Yeah, how's that working? (laughs) I'm the head of this house. Well, how come you're acting like the other end? the man smell just smell that and see if I smell like a man you say you're preaching to me you're right I'm preaching to me to fix the homes in this country just somebody just somebody in the home is going to have to start doing right and acting right. Can anybody say amen? Just, just acting right. Amen. Romans chapter 12. I read for you verse number 10. And listen to this. I, I just, how many believe the Bible? Amen. Come on now, you believe the Bible. Amen. Romans chapter 12, verse 10. Be kindly affectionate one to another with brotherly love in honor preferring one another would kindly affection and brotherly love help a home that is held captive let me give you this somebody needs to start talking right be slow to speak swift to hear because the wrath of man Worketh not 
the righteousness of God. Most of us operate our homes on the dead cat philosophy. You know. Have you seen my dead cat lately? Remember when you did this? Well, wait just a minute. You think you're the only one has got a dead cat? I'm going to go back here and get me some too. Off the room she goes, come back and said, do you remember when you did this? Whap! And hits him right in the face. Boy, it just stinks the whole house up. He's got a double barrel cat. And for hours we thrash one another with our hurt feelings in the past. And we stink up the whole house. And our little old kids are raised scared to death that mom and daddy are going to split the sheets. The question in their heart is, which one am I going to go with? If I don't go with this one, it'll hurt their feelings. If I don't go with this one, it'll hurt them. Maybe it's my fault they're leaving after all. What a shame. When all that needs to happen, it just somebody needs to do right. Somebody needs to act right. Somebody just needs to talk right. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Well, now, if I'm going to fellowship with God and me and God is going to be friends and we've got anything in common to talk about and fellowship about, I'm sorry, I don't think I can bring up Nathan walking a guy in the ninth inning today. I don't think God really will respond to that kind of deal. But if I can talk to him about a broken heart, somebody who's got a broken heart, God might really identify with that because he's kind of drawn to folk with a broken heart. And if my heart is broken like God's heart is broken, we probably have something we can commune about and talk about tonight. And if I know a home that is broken And I know some kids and mamas and a husband and a wife that is just absolutely broken hearted. Instead of judging tonight, if I'll just kind of go to the Lord with that deal, me and the Lord may have something in common to talk about tonight. I know one thing, God's interested in hearts. God's interested in homes. Can I give you the last one before we go? God's interested in the harvest. Preach. I know this. Preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Now I know you know this. But Jesus was quoting Isaiah chapter 61 when he stood up and read that verse. He was reading out of the book of Isaiah, chapter 61. Can I show you something in that verse as we close? 
Isaiah 61, verse 1. Please, now this is significant. He's interested in our hearts. He's interested in broken hearts. He's interested in broken homes. And he's interested in the harvest. Now, I go back to Isaiah 61. Now, I want you to watch. Jesus quotes this almost verbatim because he's reading it out of the Old Testament. Now, watch how far he goes. Watch this. Verse 1, and the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God. Did you notice anywhere where he stopped? He didn't say anything about the day of vengeance of our God. Jesus said, God's going to take care of the judgment. But he has sent me to preach that right now is the acceptable year of the Lord. You better accept him while you can. You better make important to you what's important to him while you can. Whatever's wrong, you need to get it right while you can. This is the acceptable time. Jesus said because there's going to come a time when it is no longer grace, but it's going to be vengeance. No longer love, but it's going to be wrath. No longer the outstretched arms of the Savior is going to say, Come unto me, all ye labor heavy laden. One of these days, I'm going to say, I never knew you. Depart. From me, ye work of iniquity, in the everlasting fire. You say, I got a lot of time. No. Jesus said, Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, today is when you need to get it right. And if you're ever going to get What's important to God, important to you? You better not wait till next Sunday. Now's when you better do it. Preach the acceptable year of the Lord. I'm glad that tonight, whatever's bothering me, I can take care of it right there. Because he's listening to what I say. He's accepting me through the blood of his precious son and the person of Jesus Christ. He's accepting me now. Don't put it off. So, I guess if these things are important to God and God's important to me, these things might ought to get 
important to me. How long has it been since you had fellowship with folks in our church and you talked about the things of the Lord instead of something down here? 